0: at Bruce Exclusive, welcome back. So I'm here. I did have the medical procedure on Monday. I am still alive. We are going to do the best we can today. I'm a little beat up, and I might not bring the same level of energy that I always do, but I am here for you. I don't know if you heard or not, but there was an event last weekend, like a bunch of teams were drawing names out of a hat and then giving them to somebody to read on a stage. And you know, when you say it like that, the NFL draft sounds ridiculous. I made a joke a couple years ago on social media that more people would rather listen and watch Roger Goodell read names from a card than an an NBA Finals basketball game. Because yes, the ratings are higher for the first round of the NFL draft than for some NBA Finals games. And the Buffalo Bills picked some players. And I would like to talk about them. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go through the draft picks and my thoughts on the draft in general. We're going to try to get to some emails. And then we're going to get the heck out of here. Sound good? Sound good. So today's episode is called Radiation Exposure because I heard someone ask a question that they thought was really funny the other day. They said, hold on now, you go to the doctor and the doctor tells you you're going to get an x-ray and they put that gigantic metal framed thing over you, the bib, and then they say, okay, we're going to go into the other room and you go, hold on now, you're going to go into the other room and you're going to leave me in here with the x-ray thing? How's that fair? So it's so dangerous that you don't want to be in the room, but it's not too dangerous to use on me. And they thought they were all funny. Ah, it's so funny. But the reality is this, a single x-ray is unbelievably small amounts of radiation exposure. But standing next to an x-ray for 40 hours a week is a very, very different level of radiation exposure. So that's why for you individually, the danger might be so low that it rounds to zero. But if the doctor were to stand there next to you for the entirety of the x-ray and every other patient, it'd be a different story. It's like being in a bartender, right? If you have a drink with your bartender, that's fine. If the bartender has a drink with every single one of their patrons, they'll die. It's different sometimes. It's a matter of perspective. Missing on draft picks is a lot like that, specifically when it comes to missing on high draft picks, which is the reason why they will naturally be more scrutinized. We're always going to talk more about the draft picks at the top, because if you miss on one, that's fine. You miss on two, it's fine. You're going to have a handful of x-rays done on you over the course of your life, and all of it's probably going to be fine. But if you stand in a room with constant radiation exposure, you're probably not going to be fine. It's the same way with draft picks. You miss on a first-rounder, that's okay. You miss on a second-rounder, that's okay. You constantly miss on your day one and day two picks. The talent of your team will erode beneath you. And you'll be relying on some other things to get you across, to get you to the finish line to get you to the promised land. But the surest way to make sure that your team stays as good as they possibly can for as long as they can possibly be that way is to hit on your draft picks. Because, you know, we can all afford a little radiation exposure, but we don't really want a lot of radiation exposure. Let's talk about Dalton Kincaid. He's a slot receiver. That's basically what they told us. That's what Brandon Bean told us at the post-draft press conference. That was the narrative going around. That's what people think he's going to be. I mentioned on social media, the thing I think is interesting is that Brandon Bean said once Kincaid made it past the charges at 21, he started trying to call. Well, at that time, Flowers and Addison were still on the board. Which means if Brandon Bean is to be believed, Dalton Kincaid is not a consolation prize as a pass catcher. He was a target. It may have been Jackson Smith and Jigba, Dalton Kincaid for this team as far as pass catchers go. We don't know if they had Quentin Johnston there, but most people wouldn't look at him as the same type of player. You wouldn't put him in the same type of bucket as Jackson Smith and Jigba and Dalton Kincaid. Now, the key caveat there is if he can be believed because GMs lie all the time. But if in this case, he's telling the truth, I find that to be interesting. The other thing I find to be interesting is the way that we are framing Dalton Kincaid simultaneously as a receiver when it suits us and not as a receiver when it doesn't suit us. This is a great opportunity to identify whether or not we are being intellectually dishonest, whether or not we're being hypocritical. He's six foot three and two forty-six. Receivers are not that big. He played forty-eight percent of his snaps from the slot and forty percent in line. He's not going to separate from man coverage quite like Cole Beasley did, unless the player on them is bigger, like a linebacker. But being flat out said that the intent was to have defenses play the Bills in nickel when the Bills used Kincaid. The intent is to have a defensive back on Kincaid by that measure. And Kincaid isn't going to be putting a defensive back in the blender, at least not in man coverage. And that means Allen's going to be throwing into tighter windows. Now, the overwhelming majority of the time, the Bills face zone coverage. And having a really good feel for zone is a big part of Dalton Kincaid's game. But that's why it's different than just saying he's a slot receiver. He's not just a slot receiver. He's a slot pass catcher. But slot receivers can be expected to separate from man coverage when they're playing from the slot. And Kincaid can do that too if you put a linebacker on him. If you put a defensive back on him, then you're going to have size and ball skills as far as the matchup goes. You can still win the matchup. You're just going to win it a different way. Is Josh Allen going to want to throw? Those contested catch situations where you have a defensive back on Dalton Kincaid? Maybe. But it's not as simple. The point is, it's qualitatively different. This isn't good or bad. It's just qualitatively different than him being a slot receiver. But if we would like to continue to go down the road of, well, he's a slot receiver. Okay, fine. Let's go down this road. If the Bills spend a one and a four on a slot receiver, What kind of usage would you expect to see from that player? Probably a lot, right? You burned a first and a fourth on him. And quick side note, yes, that's exactly what the Bills expended. Somebody on social media was like, Bruce, why are you saying it like that? You made it sound like they gave up an extra first. No, lost a first and a fourth. Gained Dalton Kincaid. If they would have just taken him at 27, then it would have been lost. First round pick, gained Dalton Kincaid, but you spent a one and a four on Dalton Kincaid. Imagine with me, if you will, that you were going to try to trade for a receiver across the NFL, and you were to trade for a receiver who was going to cost you a one and a four. What kind of usage would you want to see from this player? Would you want them to get 50 targets, 40 catches, Probably not. It's ironic that Dalton Kincaid was drafted by the Buffalo Bills the exact same day I dropped a podcast saying, I want Gabriel Davis to be a 60 to 70 target guy, not a 90 target guy. I want somebody else. And I said, if you want to draft a slot player like Josh Downs or something like that to get those targets to be my guest. I don't think Gabriel Davis is bad. I just want him to do Gabriel Davis stuff down the field. And down the field, players shouldn't get 90 targets. And then that same day, they drafted a receiver who I think can and should get those kind of targets. I would feel exactly the same way if they would have drafted Jordan Addison. And if you don't, my question is, why not? Why don't you feel that way? If the Bills would have drafted Jordan Addison, would you have felt like he should be ahead of Gabriel Davis as far as target share goes. You probably would have felt that way. Why don't you feel that way about Dalton Kincaid? Why don't we feel convicted with Dalton Kincaid? We just finished talking about how he's a slot receiver, right? So if he's a slot receiver, if he's a receiver that you spent a one and a four on, shouldn't you expect that? Yes, expectations minus reality equals disappointment. But expenditure should set expectations. You didn't spend a late three on this guy. You spent a one and a four on a pass catcher. Don't have different expectations for him because he's got a TE next to his name when you just said he was a sly receiver. We can't have it both ways. You can't defend him and defend the pick by saying, oh, he's not TE2, he's a receiver. But then when it comes time to set expectations, oh, well, he's just TE2. No, no, you don't get to do that. Either he's TE2 and you shouldn't have spent a one and a four on him, or he's a full-time receiver and you should have all the expectations that come with a full-time receiver. Well, Bruce, I don't think he needs a certain amount of targets to be you know successful. I, I just don't want to set an arbitrary number for that. Okay, so when you're defending the pick, he's a receiver, but you don't want that receiver to get targets. Is there any receiver that you can think of off the top of your head that didn't get any meaningful targets but yet was still a success? Anybody? Bueller? Receivers who are good earn targets. If he's a receiver and he's good, he should get targets. Can you think of a circumstance where you would take a pass rusher, in the first round and they don't get any pressures and you go, that's successful. Of course not. That's ludicrous. It's the same way with this. We should expect that Dalton Kincaid be a meaningful part of the passing offense. Now I'm not saying it's going to happen right away, but they should clearly be making an effort. Are the coaches making an effort to make him a meaningful part of the passing game because that's what we would be asking of the coaches in the event that they would have drafted a wide receiver which is the same thing we should ask after they drafted Dalton Kincaid I love Dalton Kincaid's skill set love it one of my favorite players in the entire draft but there's an easy path to underutilization with this pick so it's fair for us to have concerns about him. More options are always better than less options. But diversification is sometimes the enemy of value. Kincaid cannot be a player who gets 38 targets this year and be reasonably defended in his usage next offseason, assuming health. You are never good enough to make a luxury pick. Ever. This is why I'm always out on running backs in the first round. There are no teams who are good enough to make luxury pick. The margin for error in the NFL is razor thin. You take a couple luxury picks, all of a sudden you got jumped by somebody else. Which means this pick cannot afford to be a luxury pick. He's a slot receiver. Okay, fine. He's a slot receiver. He's a slot receiver that costs you a one and a four. How many targets should you invest in a receiver that costs you a one and a four? Beware the people who call him a receiver now, and then if he doesn't get utilized, say, well, he's TE2. You can't have it both ways. That makes us intellectually dishonest. That makes us hypocrites. We're not going to be that way. I can't tell you how excited I am about the possibility of the Bills running more 12 personnel. This has been something, if you have been listening to my pod for a very, very long time, you will know I'm a big fan of 12. If you have the right bodies for it, big fan of 12. Because it puts the defense in such a crazy bind. Because if you defend it with nickel, you're too small. And if you defend it with base, you're too slow. It is the ultimate matchup personnel grouping. Because the NFL is a game of matchups. And if you don't have special athletes, you can't match up. How's your third linebacker? Versus our tight end. How's your nickel corner versus our tight end? If you don't like either of those options, you're toast. It also helps the Bills run game. Yeah, Dalton Kincaid, not known as being a top-shelf blocker, but guess what? You know what helps being a top-shelf blocker when the guy you're trying to block is 60 pounds lighter than you? That helps. And if you're going to defend Dalton Kincaid and Dawson Knox... And Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis, with nickel, you are going to be undersized. All of a sudden, the Bills are ripping off six yards of carry with Damian Harris, James Cook, Latavius Murray, all that. And that's good. More options, better than less options. But higher picks are going to go under the microscope more than lower picks. It's just like radiation exposure. We talked about earlier. You can miss on a couple high picks. Sure. But it's always going to be under the microscope because the opportunity cost associated with not hitting on a more meaningful pick is worse. So when you have a player like Torrance that I was a little cool on 27 because I didn't really necessarily love the fit. Now all of a sudden you take him at 59. I'm feeling a lot better. I'm feeling a lot of better. There's plenty of people who wouldn't very pleased if the Buffalo Bills would have taken Osiris Torrance at 27. They took him at 59. The thing I like about this is between Torrance and Broker, all of a sudden interior offensive line becomes a strength for the Buffalo Bills. And they have depth there that they haven't had for a while. The Greg Van Rotens of the world is a thing of the past and that's good because I think interior offensive line is probably more important for protecting Josh Allen than the tackles now the Buffalo Bills did not draft a tackle which totally lines up with the idea that they're in on Spencer Brown but as far as the first two picks go I'm feeling pretty good I love Dalton Kincaid as a pass catcher my caveat is okay you you did the thing now you got to do the thing You got to use Dalton Kincaid like he's a full-time wide receiver that you spent a one and a four on because you did. And Osiris Torrance at 27, I was a little bit cool on. Osiris Torrance at 59? Big fan. I think he should push for a starting right guard job this year, which would make Ryan Bates almost the first man off the bench regardless of position. And if Mitch Morse decides to ride off into the sunset after next year or the year after, Ryan Bates can be there as a starting center. But for right now, that versatility might actually be a hindrance for Ryan Bates. But then the third round pick came. Dorian Williams. It screams to me that they wanted a linebacker. Overshown and Simpson, went ahead of them. And they knew they didn't have a fourth, so they wouldn't be picking until the fifth. So they just grabbed somebody. But if you thought he was an outside guy, does it even matter that he's a linebacker? Because your need wasn't at linebacker. It was at Mike linebacker. And they said, well, you know, we think he's an outside linebacker. And then, oh, well, he might get an opportunity to play a little Mike. They kind of backtracked on that. I was lower on Williams than consensus, so fair warning ahead of time. I was not lower on him because of size. One of the big narratives that's coming around the Dorian Williams pick is, well, he's the same size as blah, 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 blah. I don't think anybody thought he was too small to be a Mike. It was about processing and instincts, which are criticisms to playing Mike because the action is coming at you fast and furious. So like everybody else, my reaction to the Dorian Williams pick was, eh... It wasn't just for me that he wasn't a Mike. I was also just lower on him than the consensus. I made that statement before the draft. I'm not going to backtrack on it now that he's a Buffalo Bill because I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I was lower on him. I still maintain that LSU defensive tackle Jacqueline Roy would have been the Bill's pick in the fifth round had he not gone just a few picks ahead of him. He was a top 30 visit. Brandon Bean said he wanted a defensive tackle. I think that was going to be the pick. But the pick instead was Justin Shorter. In this case, it's kind of like an ironic name. You know, it's like when you call your Great Dane Tiny. Five-star recruit, coming out of high school, great size. The question for Shorter is this. Why didn't he ever develop? Big recruit. Didn't really develop at Penn State. Struggled with drops. Drops. Then he comes to Florida. The very beginning doesn't quite become what he wants to become. Has his best season later on. Runs down the field. Great size, great hands, great ball skills. Isn't going to separate horizontally. Doesn't have any of that quick twitch. He's not DK Metcalf. Metcalf ran a 4.33, not a 4.54. But I want to tackle these two picks, Dorian Williams and Justin Shorter, together. One of the things I think is interesting about these picks is the second we were talking about them, the discussion from Brandon Bean was about their impact on special teams. I mentioned earlier this offseason that Brandon Bean needed to hit a couple home runs, right? He had hit some singles, hit some doubles. A homer would be nice, right? If Dalton Kincaid ends up being an elite tight end, that's awesome. That's a homer. If Osiris Torrance ends up becoming a really, really good right guard, that's a homer. Some singles, some doubles, not quite enough home runs. The thing that concerns me a little bit about the Dorian Williams and Justin Shorter picks is that it doesn't feel like he was even swinging. It feels like he was just trying to make contact. I know we're crossing metaphors here. I hope you're impressed with my baseball metaphors. But when the first thing you say is, I think he can earn a jersey... He can help us on special teams. It doesn't feel like you drafted this player because you thought they had chance to be a homer. It doesn't feel like you drafted them because they had starter traits. And you know what? Who knows what they can turn into down the line. And I wouldn't expect that in the sixth, seventh round. But you're the third and the fourth round. There are plenty of people who can get starting caliber players there. Gabriel Davis came from the third round. Matt Milano came from the fifth. You can draft people with starter traits. With people you think can compete. But the first thing, the priority of the things was special teams, everything else. Let's get this guy a jersey. That was the priority. Let's make sure we can draft somebody who I think can make the team. Which is fine. You want your draft picks to make the team. And it's harder for draft picks to make the team when you're a good team. We've seen that over and over and over again. The better your team is, the harder it is for draft picks to make it. And I understand that. But if that's your primary focus, you're not trying to hit something out of the ballpark. So that's something to think about when it comes to hitting homers in the draft. Were you trying to hit homers in the draft? But I think that puts a little bit of extra pressure on Brandon Beam to hit a homer in the first and second round. Because starting in round three, he was going for, let's just make contact. Let's just get the guy a jersey. Right? My focus is on special teams. Think about it. A.T. Perry and Xavier Hutchinson were both there in the fifth round to take as wide receivers. Both of them probably have a higher likelihood of being starters down the line than Justin Shorter. But Justin Shorter is probably a better special teams guy. They took Shorter. They just want to get a jersey. Let's get a body who we think can make this team. So it's interesting because that approach in rounds three and four and five, that approach means you kind of got to hit high because you're not even swinging That hard in the middle rounds. You're just trying to make contact. And I think this is an interesting way of framing this discussion. Yeah, you want Brandon Bean to hit something out of the park, but I don't know if he was really trying to hit out of the park with Dorian Williams or Justin Shorter. I think he was with Kincaid and Osiris Torrance. And if he does, then it doesn't matter. Homers are homers, baby. Let's hit him. Hit him in the first, hit him in the second. Let's hit homers, baby. But if you're only swinging for the fences in two rounds, it puts a lot of pressure on those two rounds because you're just trying to make contact with the rest of them. I really like Nick Broker, just so you know. Tough, strong, experienced. I think there's an outside chance he makes this team. And if not, he's a practice squad player who I think can be developed. I like Nick Broker. He's played multiple positions. He profiles as that same type of backup interior offensive lineman that the Bills historically have liked. Ike Butker, Ryan Bates, Nick Broker. So I'm a big fan of that pick. Alex Austin, it's Christian Benford all over again. Similar height, weight, speed profiles. They profile as good ball skill zone corners. Big fan of Alex Austin. And again, this is the upside of just trying to make contact. I can imagine a world where all of the Bills draft picks make the team. This is the upside of the thing I mentioned earlier. The downside is you're probably less likely to hit home runs. The upside is I can imagine a universe where they all make the team. Now, I don't think that's probably going to happen because it usually doesn't. But I can see a path for most of these players, making the team. I am running out of gas, so we are going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and do emails. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. So we're going to get to emails. But we're also going to do discussion on Puna Ford, Latavius Murray. Puna Ford doesn't solve the we don't have any defensive tackles under contract in 2024 issue. Doesn't solve that. He does solve the the entire defense goes to crap without Daquan Jones issue. So that's nice. Big fan of that. I like Puna Ford. I think that there's a very reasonable chance that at the end of this year, people are saying, you know what? It's okay. We can let Ed Oliver go. That's all right. Let's just bring back Puna Ford. I literally can see that as a possibility moving forward. I can see a path to that. I like Puna Ford. I've always liked Puna Ford. He's a very unique body type, only five foot 11, 310 pounds, but he's really, really long. So he's low to the ground. He's long. He always wins leverage. Just an absolutely fascinating player study because there just aren't a lot of players like that in the NFL. It's just an unusual body type, an unusual structure to see on the field. Just go watch some Seahawks stuff of Poon Ford. It, it he just looks different than any other player on the field. And it's fascinating. And I'm a fan Latavius Murray makes me think that bills might roster five running backs. I don't know if they'll dress five, but they'll roster five. Because obviously Gilliam is a running back, right? He's a fullback, so that counts. And then Cook and Harris and Latavius Murray. And then Naheem Hines. So I think rostering five running backs and dressing four is really interesting. I think it's really interesting. I think that when you talk about the discussions we had earlier in regards to 12 personnel helping the run game. I think getting a little size probably helps too. Latavius Murray actually played pretty well last year. You know, for a 33-year-old running back. Been very impressed with how much juice he still had in the tank. With him and Damian Harris, I think there's a downhill element to Buffalo Bills running backs that is good. And you didn't spend a lot of money on him. But you did guarantee him $650,000. Which is the thing that makes me wonder if this is a, hey, he's probably going to make the 53. Because you guaranteed him money that you think, okay, well, is that more than a practice squad kind of guy? You know? It feels to me like it's a five running back roster for the Buffalo Bills in 2023. Let's go to emails, shall we? Chris says, I'm trying not to lose faith. And Brandon Bean. I will only comment on the first three rounds because the later picks I don't know enough about, and they're dart throws anyway. First, I think we need to address the underlying issue with Tremaine Edmonds. I assume Plan A was to resign him, but the market got too hot and we got outbid. Sure, maybe we could have matched what the Bears gave him, but I, you know, maybe he would have gone higher, and we just couldn't afford the bidding war. So Plan B, I hope, was Jack Campbell at twenty-seven, but the Lions took him at to eighteen. Maybe we didn't expect that, or maybe we just couldn't afford to go up that high. I totally understand both these issues. I would have then assumed plan C or plan B was another linebacker, but Dalton Kincaid was too good to pass up. And then we figured we could get somebody at 59. But then at 59, Drew Sanders was still available, and we took Osiris Torrance. And that made me think, okay, maybe the plan now is no linebacker in 2023. And then Dorian Williams at 91. We now have seven linebackers on the roster, three first or second year non-starting players, three veteran non-starting players, and Milano. I guess we can still sign a veteran to fill the second linebacker spot, but was there really no better use for the 91st pick? Sorry, that was longer than I intended. So sum up. Dalton Kincaid, too good to pass up. Osiris Torrance, is he really a fit with the rest of the O'Mobile O-line? Dorian Williams, what are we doing here? Could be a great player, but we don't need any more outside backers. I don't disagree with the concept. I do think that they were prepared to punt it, but they wanted another body. And I I think it was a mostly backup and special teams pick, which is my discussion earlier about not swinging for the fences. You weren't even trying for someone who you thought could start for you close to now. Because the path to playing time isn't through Matt Milano, that's clear. But you also hedge eh, on whether or not he's a Mike. Dodson and Bernard are probably going to compete for that mic spot. So you drafted a player in the third round that you don't necessarily know if you have a, a path to playing time for them at all. That's not trying to hit a home run. That's just trying to make a connection. That's just trying to connect with the ball. So I don't disagree with you. I mentioned it earlier today. But I don't think one third round pick or one fifth round pick is enough to lose faith in Brandon Bean. Everyone has to be Evaluated based on reasonable sample size. Everybody. Every single year, we're going to have a discussion about Brandon Bean, what he's done so far, what he's doing now, what he might do in the future. We're always going to have those conversations. And we have a good sample size with Brandon Bean. So we can absolutely be critical and praise Brandon Bean based on a reasonable sample size. We can absolutely do that. But it's not going to be just Dorian Williams. I know we have a tendency to get really hyper-focused, like Bill's Mafia's riding high after Kincaid and Torrance, and all of a sudden, it's just this big downer. Same thing happened last year with Terrell Bernard. But if Bernard ends up being a Mike linebacker and ends up being good, then we're all going to feel fine. So, yeah, I think it's completely fine to be critical of Brandon Bean. But you have to do it based on the entirety of his work, not just one thing we don't like. David says, we've drafted two small linebackers in successive years to go with a starter who's also small. I worry about stopping the run with nickel. Some, myself included, don't have a lot of confidence in the ability of our bigger linebackers, and platooning tends to mean the other teams will pass when you're in a run, set and run when you're a pass set. Maybe it makes more sense to simply assume the Bills are going to run more base defense, at least with downs that have a good chance of being a run play. The numbers can help with the size. It also helps explain Williams' path to the roster. He can play opposite Milano in a three-linebacker set. There is a view that Rapp's signing means more dime sets, but maybe McDermott's doing more of both, dropping the one set of personnel for all defensive schemes in favor of more diversity. Do you think it's possible? Yeah, I think it's possible. But I really, 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 really don't think the Bills are in a hurry to take Taron Johnson off the field. I just don't. Sean McDermott absolutely loves Taron Johnson, and rightfully so. We mentioned earlier about matchups and having matchup players. Taron Johnson is a matchup player because he can play your receiver in the slot and he can do what he needs to do, but he can also defend the run. He can get around the blocks of bigger tight ends and come downhill, trigger, and make a tackle in the backfield. You'd rather have Taron Johnson out there against the run than a lot of third linebackers in the NFL. He's the matchup player on defense. He's the Dalton Kincaid. He's the guy you can leave out there and say, okay, offense, here you go. If you want to bring a slot receiver out, he can cover your slot receiver. If you want to go heavier, he can play against the run. That's the secret sauce. It's one of the reasons why the Buffalo Bills have had a successful defense for so many years. It's Taron Johnson's a big part of that. So I am very hard-pressed to think of a reason why Sean McDermott, would really want to take him off the field meaningfully. Now, obviously, you know, a little dash of this, a little dash of that, sure. And I think we more, it might see more diversity in fronts and personnel usage than we have historically seen. But I don't think it's going to be so significant that Nickel's not going to be the predominant personnel grouping moving forward. And I think the answer is because of Taron Johnson. Last thing for today. Jay says, hey, Bruce, glad to see you did a podcast. I hope it means your procedure went well. My procedure went. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty beat up, but I'm okay. I'm very happy about the first two picks, but concerned that Kincaid won't get used to his full potential. I'm taking Brandon Bean's words to heart that he can be used like a slot receiver from the tight end position and that he could be considered a larger Beasley. However, I'm concerned about Dorsey. I know he's only his second year, but he needs to show he can use all the weapons available to him. I was disappointed last year after Heinz was acquired, he didn't play more of a role on offense and didn't become part of the passing game. He's not the same player as Kincaid, but what good is it to stockpile weapons if they're not being used? In looking at this year's draft, Bean is the decision maker, but how much did Dorsey's opinion factor into the decision to move up and get Kincaid? Bean may be giving Dorsey weapons he doesn't necessarily want to use or doesn't know how to use. My first question is whether you see Kincaid the same way Bean does and whether you think he can be or should be the receiver getting the second-most targets after Diggs? The answer to those questions is yes, both of them. Kincaid is a large slot receiver. He's a matchup problem from the slot, and I do believe he should be getting the second- or third-most targets on the team. Ideally, the second-most, but I don't know if that's going to happen his rookie year. But moving forward, I would like Kincaid to be the second option. Diggs can be your option on the outside, and Kincaid can be your option on the inside. It was the exact same way with Beasley was here. It was 160 targets for Diggs and somewhere between 100 and 115 for Cole Beasley. That's what I want for Dalton Kincaid. Recognizing that you don't know with certainty, my second question, he says, is how much do you think Dorsey influenced the decision to get Kincaid? I don't think Bean would have gotten a player like this if we hadn't talked to Dorsey. I don't know if Dorsey pounded the table for him because I think if he had I think that would have come up in some of Brandon Bean's post-draft interviews or his press conference about how Dorsey was pounding pounding the table but I have a hard time believing Brandon Bean just said oh here you go and Dorsey's like what do I do with this the offensive staff had to have a discussion about how they were going to do this and how they were going to use this so I believe like you believe that he needs significant playing time and targets this year. And I think it's fair to have those level of expectations. I mentioned it earlier in this podcast. We should treat this acquisition as if the Bills spent a one and a four to go up and get a receiver because that's what they said he was. We should be fair. We should call a receiver a receiver and hold the receiver to receiver expectations and utilization expectations that you would have of a receiver. And if not, if you think, oh, well, you know, he's a TE2, and then well, you just spend a one and a four on a TE2, I suppose. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings.